Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to Dope Nostalgia. I'm your host, Naomi Carmack. This episode is a bit of a milestone because we have now officially reached 150 episodes. Technically, there's a few more than that because I did like some half episodes, things like that. But it, it's just a thrill to be here doing this show for you guys. And the reaction we get is wonderful. Keep emailing us and telling us what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. We'd love to have you as a guest. If you're interested, just send me an email anytime. Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com. We also have a phone number you can call to reach us at 780-851-8785. You can leave a voicemail there and we might just play it on the show. You never know. But since it's a milestone episode, we thought we'd get a milestone band on here as well. One that has had a tremendous amount of success and some massive hits. I got to speak with Miles Zuniga of the rock band Fastball. Here's a little bit more information about the group. Wikipedia, Wikipedia moment. Formed in 1994 in Austin, Texas, Fastball combined a fondness for melodic Beatles-inspired pop with the alternative aesthetic of late 90s mainstream rock. Guitarist vocalist Miles Zuniga, bassist and vocalist Tony Scalzo, and drummer Joey Sheffield all veterans of Austin's underground rock scene, originally banded together under the name Magneto USA. After signing with Hollywood Records, the musicians changed their name to Fastball and released their debut album, Make Your Mama Proud, in 1996. The album demonstrated the band's synthesis of modern flavor and bygone pop hooks, a combination that would later launch Fastball into the mainstream. The follow-up effort, All the Pain Money Can Buy, appeared in early 1998, featuring a considerably tighter band and more pop flourishes. Although the bandmates were still working side jobs at the time of its release, lead-off single, The Way, proved to be a meteoric hit, topping the American rock charts for seven weeks while enjoying crossover success as a pop single. Fire Escape and the piano-fueled Out of My Head did similarly well, and All the Pain Money Can Buy went platinum within six months of its release, earning two Grammy nominations along the way. Fastball celebrated their success with a considerable amount of touring, including shows alongside Marcy Playground and Everclear. The Harsh Light of Day arrived in fall 2000, featuring piano work by Billy Preston and an increasingly arty sound, including the top 40 hit, You're an Ocean. Fastball eventually left the Hollywood roster in favor of a new deal with Ryko Disc. A retrospective compilation, Painting the Corners, the best of Fastball, marked the band's final release for Hollywood Records in 2002. Two years later, they resurfaced with Keep Your Wig On, having fully embraced their power pop roots with the help of co-producer Adam Schlesinger. The album strengthened Fastball's work ethic, with frontmen Zuniga and Scalzo writing together for the first time. That collaborative spirit helped fuel another album, Little White Lies, which appeared in 2009 to warm reviews. After several years of focusing on live work, Fastball returned to the studio in 2015, recording in their hometown of Austin. The project emerged in May 7, 2017, a self-released album titled Step Into Light, and the band supported it with an extensive tour of the United States and Canada. The following year, Fastball celebrated the 20th anniversary of All the Pain Money Can Buy with an expanded edition of the 1998 album, 
They accompanied the reissue with a hometown concert in Austin, Texas. Most recently, in October 2019, Fastball returned with The Help Machine, an album produced by Steve Berlin of Los Lobos. And in September 2021 and throughout 2022, they've been releasing music exclusively through Patreon. Their new album, The Deep End, is being released on June 17th, 2022, which means it's out now, guys. Go get it. Fastballtheband.com. Please help me welcome to the show, Miles Zuniga. All right, Miles, welcome so much to Dope Nostalgia. We do a podcast about the 90s and what people are doing now as well. Um, so Fastball, Grammy-nominated band. Did you feel when you were starting out with Fastball and putting the band together that the impact of the grunge era was affecting the music you were trying to put out? No, not really. I mean, uh, that was kind of a cool time in radio. Uh, when we first, when we first started, um, you would hear very strange songs on the radio, like Chumbawamba, and um, I don't even know who sings it. Do you remember that song? How bizarre! How bizarre! Now, OMC, right? Okay, what, yeah. who is OMC? OMC, yeah, they're from New Zealand. Right. So you'd have all these different weird songs that were hits, mm-hmm. but to. To me, it just seemed kind of wide open what, what would be a hit, you know, like Lump by Presidents of the United States of America. You know, it was weird. There was unusual stuff that would that would become big hits. So um, it wasn't like I thought, oh, God, you know, everything's got to be like grunt. I guess there was a backdrop of that. Like mm-hmm. I was in a band called Big Car before Fastball and we got a, a record deal in 1991 and we were finishing our record right when Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all that stuff just blew up. In fact, I remember hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit on the radio every day while we were trying to finish the record. So that was interesting to watch the sea change and and I mean, luckily we weren't a hair metal band. I don't know how, how that would have affected me if I had I've never, I've always been very eclectic with music. I've always enjoyed all kinds of music and I've never had a particular certain kind of, in my mind, a certain kind of style or something. In a way, I always, I always envied bands that knew what they were all about, man. We're like a metal band or, you know, we're a grunge band or we're a, a, we're a ska punk band. Like to me, that it would be easier because you could just go, you could be lumped in with all the other Scott punk bands and be part of this tribe. I've never felt that way. <laughs> so. Unique, uniqueness is good, but sometimes it's lonely. <laughs> well, I do always envy those bands that could be part of like the X Games or any kind of thing like that where they're, okay, let's just start with skateboarding. It, you know, if, if, if somehow skateboarding ties into your whole deal, that's a giant subculture of people that love to skateboard and, and surf probably too. So there's a whole lifestyle. If you can be part of a lifestyle and your band is part of that lifestyle, that's amazing. I, I envy that. Like the Grateful Dead had that, right? Mm-hmm. This giant, there's all these people that are into a certain type of living and your band 
fits their ethos perfectly. Mm -hmm. So you, you get all these people. It's like Jimmy Buffett does the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Jimmy Buffett, um, or Kenny Chesney, you know, shirt, no shirt, no shoes, no problems. You know, it's like, I'm rich and I'm going to the beach. You know, that's kind of like the vibe, right? So I feel like fans of those who are in those groups too, they don't just like your music. They're invested in your music at that point. I mean, it's an amazing thing. I'm I'm very envious that I, my band and my music couldn't easily tap into something like that. But we just, we weren't, nothing was premeditated, you know? Nothing was like, oh, we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. It was more like, we want to make really good music and, and do it for a living. That was as far as it went, sort of. I'm a big fan of your melodic choices too. And some like the harmonies and such. I, I really enjoy that. Um, a song like the way, where were they going without ever knowing the way? Um, a lot of people don't realize that that was a song about a couple who got lost. Yeah, it's true. Um, I do think people somehow picked up on that. Uh, I do think some. that, I think that the story somehow, there was something kind of, subliminally creepy about the song, I guess. Hmm. Um, again, we didn't think it through that much. Tony wrote the song and read a newspaper article and wrote a song based on the article, but it wasn't supposed to be a blow by blow account of what happened at all. It was just, I, I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, I feel like in some part it was him fantasizing about um, being able to run away with his wife, but you know, they were, I think at the time they were having a baby, like just having, just, just ran off and left it all behind. This kind of freedom, freedom from all your obligations and all your problems. Um, Whatever the reason that song translated like across the board, I've had so many people say that song's about me. That song is my life. Yeah. And and, And I was like, wow, did you, did you drive off the road in Arkansas? <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> <Do> you, <live? laughs> you know, but they're saying, oh, they made up their minds and they started packing. I, I changed jobs. I decided to move cross country, and take the leap, you know? So it, the song is super open to interpretation.
glad to hear how many people it inspired and those lyrics meant a lot to, to them. I, I love that. What's one of your uh, most memorable performances that you guys have had as a band? And are you still with the original lineup? Yeah, it's still the original lineup. Nice. I mean, just recently we played in Louisville, Kentucky, and that was like one of the best shows we've ever done. It was just, the crowd was insane. It was like sold out and, and it's just, you could just feel it in the air. I mean, Tony and I went and had a really nice French dinner before the show. Mm. At a French restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, it was amazing. And then, and you could just feel it in the air. Like, like it's, something's gonna happen. It's gonna be a great night tonight. And it was. Another, another great show we did was in Valencia, Spain. We played in Spain and uh, that audience was insane like rabid, crazy bands. So those are great shows. I mean, I mean yeah, usually it's usually pretty fun, but there are ones that stand out in your mind. Mm. I remember that dressing room in Valencia was like a shoebox. It was yeah. the, at the time we had a, um, we often have an auxiliary musician. So we had an auxiliary bass player. So there's the four of us literally with our, you know, our feet like that. Two guys this way, two guys the other way. That was all the room there was. I mean, it was it was so tiny in that room. You could, you could barely walk around. It was just <laughs> off the stage, but there was nowhere else to go. Yeah. Um, With live performance, uh, and of course, in the studio too. What's some of your favorite gear that you use? What brands are you loyal to? Oh, I like um, Vox amps and Fender bass amps. Yeah. I like. Gibson guitars and um, Epiphone, yeah, Gibson mostly. And I like Martin acoustic guitars. I am pretty loyal. I don't know why. I, I feel like I should get a Telecaster, yeah. but, I, but I never do, I never have. Um, I feel like that's a really good, guitar for like playing the kind of music we play just in terms of just banging something out mm -hmm. you know Springsteen plays a Telecaster Joe Strummer plays a Telecaster there's lots of artists that I admire and I essentially play the same kind of way I mean, just just kind of almost like it could be an acoustic guitar but but I just never have Telecaster is super uh, it's got a super distinct sound to it that maybe is a little too bright for me or something so I don't I don't use it. Um, I don't know. You 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 find the things you like early on, and then it just kind of sticks with you. It's like that with almost anything. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. I use I use Tide detergent. Me too. And Nothing I else. And I couldn't tell you why. <laughs> I don't know how they got to me, when they got to me, what subliminal advertising they used to infiltrate my brain, but. Laundry detergent is synonymous with Tide. That's what I buy. That's what I go looking for. I don't like it if, if, if they don't have it. It's, it's not like it's not going to work if it's not Tide, but I, I'm always like, ah, oh, yeah, it's just some other brand. I know, I know. I never pick up any other kind. I'm, I look at the aisle and I'm like, ugh. No. Look at the orange thing. They look at the orange and blue. I don't, yeah. I don't know how that works. I don't know. For me, it's sensitive skin. I find that Tide doesn't uh, affect me. And the other ones kind of 
give me a like little itchy sometimes. Really? So, yeah. Tide Tide seems to be better for uh, for my skin. Don't know why. You ever think about colonial people and the way that they lived? Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, they wore a lot of clothes. True. <laughs> I mean, just think about being like I think about being colonial man and getting dressed in the morning. Mm -hmm. you had to get, like those little knickers on, those pantaloons, and like the big long socks and the buckle shoes, and like wear a wig. You had to put a wig on. How mm -hmm. weird is that? And all these different clothes. And there was no laundry detergent. There was no Tide. There was no washing machine. You must That's have. You must have reeked. You know, you're living in a little cabin out in the woods. I mean, you know. <laughs> It's true. That must have been rough. You'd think they wear less clothes. You'd think they would dress more like we dress now, like with t-shirts and mm -hmm. athletic type of gear. It's just more loose fitting, like, yeah, what are you gonna what do you want? The lawn, there's no laundry. <laughs> you know, very formal. Everybody was very formal. It'd be layers dressed. and layers of clothes. Layers of clothes. Yeah. I don't even know where you got the clothes. Where did you get the clothes? There's no clothing store. You had to you had to have a that stuff. Maybe you had your own your own seamstress if you were like rich. I guess. It, it's possibly crazy to think about. I think about this stuff a lot. <laughs> I was gonna um, go on to talking about the harsh light of day. And okay. work which is a fantastic title. I absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> I do. I, I, I think it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think that, I think you have to be careful what you, uh, what you, I think things have a way of becoming an affirmation or something. So I kind of, I kind of wish we called it something else. But, oh. but, you know, all the pain money can buy is also kind of dark. So whatever. Well, they're both good titles. Yeah. They're memorable. Yeah. Now you so got to Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to distract you. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say working with Brian Setzer and Billy Preston on this album. Um, how did that all come into play? That was all the producer's idea. You know, like, oh, oh we should get Billy Preston would be good for this or Brian Setzer would be good for that. The Brian Setzer thing was really great because he hung out. Like, Billy Preston was real businesslike and just came in and did the thing and we didn't really get any <laughs> hang time with Billy. Mm -hmm. uh, but Brian Setzer was down for the down for the hang, and and he even showed me um, there's a great song called "I Won't Stand in Your Way," mm -hmm. and I learned the solo, but I just learned the solo kind of by ear. I didn't sit down with the recording. So over the years, I kind of learned the solo, and I, I I wanted to show him that I knew the solo, and I played it, and he goes, "Oh, that's cool. I play it like this." <laughs> I was playing totally wrong. I think I was huh. the wrong key. It was really fun. He was just so nice and, and super cool and, and a great guitar player. Gosh. Good so experience. What album track throughout all of your albums do you believe should have been a single? One of your favorite deep cuts? Oh, uh, I don't know. There's a song called Black Rain that was only a B-side on the All the Pain Money Can Buy. And I don't know why we didn't put it on the record. 
I, I, it was my song and I think it was my idea not to put it on the record. Mm. I don't know why I changed my, or why I thought, I thought that song has a really strong chorus. Like if I listen to it now, I definitely don't, I don't really know what I was thinking. It's hard to know what you were thinking at the time. It was mm. so long ago. That one didn't, I, I guess I would point to that one. Um, because nowadays the word single is kind of meaningless, you know? Yeah. It, 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 it's not like it was. Um, it just isn't. I mean, I guess if you're Harry Styles, you can start think in terms of singles, you know? Because mm. if you release something, they're gonna play it. But uh, for so many bands, you know, getting on, the radio, and what is the radio? I mean, the radio is so um, segmented now that, that it's almost meaningless. You know, when I was growing up, you heard everything on the same radio station. Yeah. I heard Houston, I heard Madonna, I heard the Scorpions, I heard Def Leppard. You know, you did have rock stations, but the pop station would play any song that was big enough to be on the pop station. So mm -hmm. you would hear, you would hear uh, um, that Scorpion song, um, There's No One Like You, or you would hear Photograph by Death Flipper on mm -hmm. the pop station. You would, because if it was a hit, it was a hit. Yeah. At some point that changed. And then it's like, well, no, we only play cool hip alternative bands on this station. Oh, over here, we only play massive, you know, dance and hip hop tracks on this station. Mm -hmm. You're never going to hear Beyonce on the same station that you hear, uh, uh, for the most part, um, you know, Wet Leg. Or I get, you know, there are some stations that blur a little bit. They'll play Beyonce, but then they won't play. Um, I, you know, I'm kind of out of it. I don't know who her contemporaries are. They're a little more like full on urban, urban singers. They're not going to play. Beyonce has all this cachet, so she can get played on the stations that'll play Jack White. But they're not just going to mix the genres together. And when mm -hmm. I was a kid, they would. You'd hear all kinds of stuff. I, I heard all kinds of music. It, I didn't have to go looking. It was all on the same station. And I thought that was a way healthier, a way healthier thing. But on the other hand, people today have access to all kinds of music. And that's mind blowing. Like that you, on your phone, you can listen to anything you want. And it's there. You, you can go listen to Fela Kuti. You can go listen to Miles Davis. You can listen to you know, James Brown. You can go listen to 
James Taylor. Like, like it's all there. Anything you're curious about, anything you're remotely curious about, you can find and you can find stuff from way long ago and stuff that just came out yesterday. So it's pretty, that much is amazing, but you don't have anybody, you don't have a curator kind of yeah. pointing the way. So it's easy to kind of get lost, I guess. Or True. Figure out what, I don't know. I don't know. I guess everybody just, whatever age you're born into, that's normal for you, so. The accessibility is a nice thing, but it is interesting not having radio station telling you exactly what you should be listening to in the same way. And I feel like the advent of serious radio splitting up the genres like that too. The satellite radio probably had a lot to do with that as well. It just got really, really fragmented. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no collective experience culturally anymore like we used to have all the time. When, you know, when I was growing up, when Star Wars came out, everybody talked about that for two or three years. Like that was the biggest, it, it, it was the most mind blowing film and it was such a phenomenon. And it stayed in your consciousness for a long, long time. It was in the theater for a long, long time. And it was, it, things were just much, much bigger and much, much more mysterious, you know? When Nevermind came out, that was easily a year where everybody was talking about Nirvana. You could feel the the whole, um, you could feel the grunge thing, like you were talking about. The shift. The age of grunge. There, what rock phenomenon has there been in the past 10 years that even comes close to that? There's nothing. There isn't. There's bands, but there's no collective, like, boom, this is, this is what's going on right now. Um, just, no, everything seems so buried because there's so much of it everywhere. It doesn't feel like everything's a, a real event anymore. No, nothing's an event anymore. Everything's over. Everything is, is so quickly consumed mm-hmm. and on to the next. And it's just, it's, it's just the way we consume music and art and film is totally changed. Everybody wants, everybody's going to consume it on their own time, not on the time, you know, doesn't really matter when the record came out or when the movie came out. They watch it or have it whenever they want to watch it. And also people binge watch, they go through stuff real fast on to the next thing, you know, there isn't any shared experience because everyone's on a different timeline and kind of. That's true. It's we really used to be crazy. here. Here, this show is going to be on Monday at seven p.m., and everybody's going to talk about it the next day. Yeah, I mean, when the Joshua Tree came out, there were lines outside Tower Records to wait for the midnight release or Use Your Illusion One and Two. There were lines waiting for the record to come out. Mm-hmm. Like that—that's a much different thing than oh, it, uh, it's out. <laughs> it's out now. You can go to your phone; the whole record's there. You're like, it's out? Really? Yeah, it's out. Oh, cool. You start listening and then you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do something else. You know, it's there. I'll, I'll, I'll come and check it out whenever. It's, it's just, everything's different. It just is. So that collective experience, though, oddly, I think it's, it's what is contributing to the breakdown in society. Not, not the feeling like there is no... Uh, 
we don't have these things, these cultural things that bind us together anymore. Mm. We don't feel connected. Now things are getting very polarized and very strange. Mm. And people go into their little rabbit holes on politics and, and things like that. It's on the, and all the misinformation and stuff. It's easy for people to get paranoid and freaked out and kind of get very tribal. Um, I was watching... I was watching a video, I guess it was Stone Temple Pilots playing in 2001. And they're playing in Pennsylvania at the Rolling Rock concert theater. And they're really amazing. And I was looking at that audience, I was going, wow, all the bullshit we're putting up with now, none of that existed back then. Can you imagine? You know, I lived through it. It was so great. Like, like looking back through the rearview mirror, it was, it was just incredible how simple, how much simpler life was mm. you know, before all this stuff happened. Really, life was so simple. I, 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 I even get nostalgic for like, when you missed a call, you missed a call. Yeah. That, that was that. You missed it. You could literally be away well, from and, so, and truly free from your phone. Well, you didn't even think of it that way. You just left the house. And <laughs> <laughs> you came back and someone says so-and-so called you go oh really and then you know this is even before answering machines it was it was amazing you would just miss you would miss the call and if it was someone you really wanted to talk to you'd be called. but people, it, people would knock on your door and you wouldn't you wouldn't be leery of who you're expecting <laughs> yeah you wouldn't know you wouldn't know anything. It, uh, it was tremendously exciting to be in a band back then because the world was such a mysterious place. You know, you didn't have the map on your phone of where the club was. You couldn't find the good places to eat on your phone with the Yelp reviews and how far they were from the venue or the hotel. You would just climb in the van and ride hundreds of miles to the next show and you have no idea what's gonna happen. You have no idea where you're gonna eat and you might even have no idea where you're gonna wake up. You would just... <laughs> Go and do it. And it was great, great fun and super mysterious and strange. I, I, I miss the simplicity and I miss the mystery. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. It needs to be said. <laughs> it, it's true. It felt good. I mean, there's lots of great things about technology, don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. uh, I guess I put on my, um, in my day hat, in my day. <laughs> Uh, but I do, I, I, the stuff we used to be able to pull off, you know, we would go to New Orleans and play a show and, and then this guy would go that way and I'd go this way and there'd be no discussion about, okay, let's all meet back here tomorrow morning. You would just take off and then you would try to find everything. That, that was great fun waking up somewhere and going, how, okay, we, they were, they were talking to Charlie do you know Charlie? Do you have Charlie's number? You're like trying to find the connection that's going to find you, your bandmates, and you're like, we're supposed to leave at noon. I've got three hours to piece this together. <laughs> that was fun. After these messages, we'll be right back. Dope Nostalgia listeners, I love you and I thank you so much for being a part of this show and its success over the last two years. 
we have what's called Patreon for those who want to support the show financially. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a subscriber and get bonus content, early podcast release, all kinds of cool behind-the-scenes stuff, and more. There's different tiers of membership starting at only $1 a month. And we even have some special merch for you guys who are in it for the long run. So, please, join our Patreon. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. Tonight, from wherever in the world you are listening, give a big hand for your host, May from Price Tag Pod, and I'm so excited to be a part of the Dope Nostalgia Podcast. Price Tag Pod is a new cheesy game show podcast due to release on April 2nd. Price Tag Pod attempts to put a price tag on your dignity, and to do this, the show breaks down into three easy parts. First, we ask our guests 11 uniquely ridiculous questions. 376 pounds. Uh, you have edible glitter in all of your drinks for life. Oh, no. who, who would agree to that? No, never. $500, Tim. Oh, $500. For the whole of next year, you have to have a mullet and a mustache. Ooh. $100. Would you drink from your best friend's toilet bowl? Oh. Next, we negotiate a price. £110. Oh, I think it's definitely worth more. How much you got, pal? Give me, give me a number. Let's do two hours of your pay then. Let's do $22. $2201. I'll take 2201 Or I will do 2201 You just want a weird number, right? Then at the end of the show, we calculate the total. $370,784.95. You were worth 395717 bucks. Nice. That's like almost a two-bedroom condo where I live. And that's it. We have fun. The guests have fun. And we see how cheap or expensive people's self-worth really is. To follow the show, just type price tag pod into your friendly neighborhood Google engine and we'll show up somewhere. Have a great week and we'll see you on the show. It's yum yum fun that is cool and keen. And its name is the Snoopy Snow Cone Machine. You put ice cubes in and get a snow cone Some assembly required, and you mix the punch flavor. It's yummy, Snoopy! It's yum yum fun that is cool and key. And its name is the Snoopy Snow Cone Machine. Snoopy Snow Cone Machine comes with everything you see here from Hasbro. Now, I was thinking about songwriting, too, when you're talking about, like, how quick people's attention spans are. And as a songwriter, I, in your case, too, I was thinking, do you ever think that since you have to catch people so quickly now with the intro of the song, that there might be more songwriters who put the chorus at the beginning of the song? I don't know. I'd have to study that as a songwriter and be, like, anthropological about it and see if yeah. that really is true. I do think you always have to try to catch people, especially if you're thinking, oh, you know, this is a single or this song's, this song wants to be a super hooky, like earworm type of song. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and give it all the bells and whistles. I think it's important to have something that grabs a person as quick as you can. I think it's always been that way. Um, mm. But I don't know if it has anything to do with, the way people listen to music now. Mm. Um, I feel like 
I feel like people are willing to um, are willing. The thing is, you put stuff out, and on the one hand, you can say there's so much stuff out there, it just gets lost, and no one really, no one's listening to this or that. But on the other hand, it's out there forever. You know, it's out there sitting in cyberspace. If someone sees your band or likes your band, and starts going down the rabbit hole. They might find, and those kind of people are going to be more willing to listen to everything. Um, so it's hard to say. I don't know if, if things have changed or, or if they're the same hmm. or if songs have gotten better or worse. It's really, I, I can't really tell. Um, it used to be, though, that the only way you were going to get heard was if you were on the radio or if you could go out on tour. Those were the only two ways you were going to get heard. And so you did have to have a certain level of, um, your music had to have a certain level of accessibility one way or another to, to, to grab people. If it didn't, it just, it, it, you probably wouldn't even get to make a record, right? Because records were tremendously expensive to make. Yeah. And so you had to have some sort of record company or someone to fund it and on and on and on. So it was very much like a, a sports team or something, you know, oh, he's still a minor league player. Oh, now he's up in the majors, you know. It was like that, where there's a, where you're getting all this training and education all the way up. There was an infrastructure. There was a, there was a thing called the, the record industry that, that mm -hmm. could foster talent that would put out the money to give you a chance. And then you, you could quit your job and do whatever it was. Um, you could pursue your career without having to worry about making a living for a few years. Um, eventually, you know, you, they were either going to drop, you better have a hit or they're going to drop you or something. But you got a few years to hone your craft. Now, I don't, I, as far as I can see, that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how young musicians do it. I have no idea. Yeah. It seems like it's a huge ocean they're wading into because there's just, like we've said before, so much out there to consume. Plus, anybody can record it now. Anyone can. It's, you know, get your own equipment and you can do it too. It doesn't mean it's going to be of high quality, but anyone can do it. Right. Yeah, anyone can do it. That's why it's so crowded is because anyone can do it. There's no barriers to... Um... There's no barriers to joining the joining the thing. And so there's all these different levels of, of there's people that are good and then there's people that are not so good. And then there's people that probably shouldn't be doing it at all. Yeah. You know? And uh, I hate when people grumble about like, oh when people grumble like music is some kind of uh, they act as if they're a janitor and they're getting paid less than the other janitor, you know? Yeah. There was someone complaining about like, my band, we've been struggling for 10 years and it's just not fair. Meanwhile, you know, these other bands, I'm like, well, they're better than you. They're better than you. People like them more than you, I don't know why, okay? But they do. Yeah. It, it's called free market, it's called uh, entertainment business. Like it's, you're, it's not, it's not like, no, I'm a janitor. He's a janitor. We both do the same. No, no, no. It's not like that. No, no. no. Here's the cold, hard they truth. Way better songs than you. They sing way better than you. Yeah. Sorry. 
Yeah. It's uh, it's not like sports where sports you can define how fast is you know how fast is his fastball how 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 many uh, you know how many RBIs how many you you've got all the stats. This is math. <laughs> yeah, there's math to it where you can assign a value. In music, thankfully, it's not like that, but mm-hmm. but there still are these realities of like, yes, he's a great singer. Are you are you still wondering why? So many people like him is because he's a great singer mm-hmm. or he's a great songwriter or he's just got something that people like. Yep. There's no explaining it, you know, but don't act like we, everyone should get paid the same. That's not the way it works. No. Sorry. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> songwriting experience what's one of the best or one of your personal favorite songs you wrote for another artist uh well i wrote this song it's not very widely known but i wrote a song called even if it takes a lifetime that um i can't know how her name's escaping me now this woman covered and i thought she did a great great version of it I mean, you can look it up, but she okay. did a good version of it. Um, that's one of them. Um, I mean, frankly, I'm, I'm happy anytime somebody cuts one of my songs. So I, I'm not picky about it. <laughs> I thought it was really flattering to hear someone do the words you wrote or the, the melody you wrote. And put their own per- personal spin on it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's great. It really is nice. Are you still based out of Austin? Yep. Tell me a bit about Austin City Limits. Well, what do you want to know? <laughs> you, have you guys performed there at all? Or have, have you attended? Never. Have you attended it? I've attended it a lot. And I, I'm not really a fan of it because it's just not my scene. It's, yeah. it's, it's too, it's too big and you're not, I have a thing about live music. I want to see it live. Mm-hmm. If I watch live music on a television, okay, like you're so far back that you're watching the Jumbotron, <laughs> that to me isn't live anymore. You're watching TV, you're standing in a field watching TV. The band is way over there. And they're right. like half 
big and the music's several seconds old by the time it gets to you. True. <laughs> Whatever, I'm exaggerating, but it's not live music. It's not like there's a difference between being right there close enough to see the person's face and mm-hmm. be way in the back watching on a jumbotron to me. That's like, it's just, it doesn't excite me. So that festival is very much like, um, unless you're unless you're a little kid and you get there at noon and stand, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, go stake out your spot and stay there the whole day, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna get close. I'm certainly not gonna get close. I don't have the patience or the, or the or the desire to try to push my way through. But I've I've gone many times. The favorite time I went was I got to see Depeche Mode, and for whatever reason, the the, young, the youngsters there didn't really want to. <laughs> they weren't that interested. I think the festival kind of miscalculated. So Depeche Mode wasn't as crowded as it should have been. So I was able to get right up close, and they were amazing. So that was a great one. And it wasn't too crowded. It was very pleasant. Um, but most of the time, it's, you're just miles and miles away from the, the music. And uh, I remember I was watching the B-52s at one of the ACLs, and they were like, you know, set, like a football field away and standing there. And there was a guy next to me with, with his date. And she goes, have you ever seen the B-52s before? And he said, I still haven't. <laughs> and I thought, well, well, that's, that's exactly right. I still haven't seen them. An intimate venue is always going to be superior. Yeah. I also, people love to bitch about how expensive ticket prices are to see people like Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen and the Rolling Stones. And I'm thinking to myself, that's because you want to see someone towards the end of their life and they know they can charge whatever they want because this might be the very last time you get to see them and everybody feels the same way and you already know all their songs and you've already spent all this time with their music. So yes, they're going to charge you an arm and a leg and you're going to want to, you're going to bitch about it, but you know what? You're going to pay it because you don't want to go to some club on a Tuesday night and see who's there. Mm. There's someone who's the next Bruce Springsteen. There's someone who's the next Paul McCartney in a bar right now. Mm-hmm. And you know how much it costs to see him? $5, if even. And you can go right up to the front and watch. And like that is where the stars of tomorrow are coming from. And they, they're there. They're out there right now. They're in. You have to be musically curious and you have to stop wanting to recreate what you already know. There's a lot of people who've already seen Springsteen 18 million times. You've seen him. Do you need to see him again, really? He's older now than he was when he saw him 20 years ago. Do you need to see him again? Why? Mm. Who cares? There's I'm really glad you good. said that about like the new bands coming out and how they play to empty rooms all the time because people just don't invest early until they've heard it somewhere else. Yeah, they want to know that it's already a proven commodity and then they bitch the tickets a hundred bucks. <laughs> it's like, don't take a chance, go do something, go hear someone you've never heard before. Have an open mind, go see something you've never seen before. 
because I want to talk about the new album, The Deep End, that came out in June. Now, what can our listeners look forward to with the new release? We'll play a clip of one of the new songs on the show, too. I mean, uh, I think it's a great collection of tunes. It's got, um, you know, it's pretty eclectic. There's a song I wrote called House on the Edge of the World that I really love. Mm-hmm. But uh, in all honesty, we, we don't, I myself am not thinking in terms of records anymore at all because of all the things I've talked about earlier in the interview. Yeah. People, don't, people do not consume records the way I did when I was a kid uh, because I bought the actual record. Um, the way everyone, including me, the lion's share of people listen to music just however, they'll listen to one song that doesn't matter if there's a new album, very few people are gonna sit and listen to the whole record. They're gonna mm-hmm. listen, they're gonna skip around and whatever. So at some point, also if you put a record out, I mean, the name of the game now on platforms like Spotify is you wanna be able to get on a playlist ideally, right? If you get on a playlist that's a big playlist, like, you know, whatever it is, it's in the nineties or whatever the, the yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna find, you're gonna attract people, or they're gonna be people that listen to you that weren't going to that playlist to listen to you. They were just going to the playlist, and all of a sudden, or New Music Monday or whatever. Um, Spotify has an editorial board. They sit and listen to your record. If you give them a record, they're gonna listen to it, the the whole record one time, I guess, or and then they're gonna decide whether they add it or not, and then it's gone. If you take that same record and just put out three or four songs, you've got three at-bats instead of, if you put out 12 songs once, that's one time they're gonna give you. If you break it into three different releases, you've suddenly got three times they're gonna give you. So it's in your best interest to spread stuff out. Plus it turns out that people like it better if there's a steady stream of content than if you put out one record a year. They would rather have, I mean, most people want as much as just like TV shows and everything, just want to keep it coming. Keep it coming. Something new around the corner all the time. Give me, give me another one. So like we stopped thinking in terms of records and we were like, we're just going to do EPs and singles. Mm. But then we got this tour with Everclear and then our manager urged us to like, you need to sell a record on the road. So you need to so we just packaged it together as a record. And then all these people are like, what a great record. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Because it, it wasn't conceived to be a record. I pretty much stopped thinking in those terms. I don't, I think, yeah. I just think about songs and I think about collections of songs. Mm. And I don't even think about it all cohering as a, as a work of art anymore because it's just, you, you, there are people that still listen to albums but they're so few and far between Uh, I want to as an artist I want to write for what the times are demanding in terms of not write songs for that but just release songs in the in the way that the world seems to want it you know Mm -hmm. because I don't want my songs to get lost so I'd rather have two or three at a time as opposed to putting 12 and people only listen to two or three. So smart. Yeah. I don't really care as long as people hear the music. So I'm just trying to give the songs the best chance they can get. 
for people to hear them. I'm glad you thought about it that way. And uh, it makes sense. What do you have coming up? You mentioned Everclear. What do you have coming up for live performances in the future? Uh, so that a couple of, we're gonna go do uh, a show in Marble Falls here in a few weeks, and then we're going out to California to do two gigs. And then that's really it for this year. Um, mm. And I don't really know what we're doing next year, but it always, there always seems to be some sort of tour or something comes along and we're, we're recording. We're, we've got some new music bubbling under right now that we're working. Well, we, we recorded, I guess it was six or seven songs at this place called the Sonic Ranch and um, it's near, it's out in the middle of the desert. It's a beautiful studio. Wow. Uh, we did six or seven songs out there with David Garza. And uh, we're gonna record some more. And so all that music will come out next year. Mm. So this is the most prolific we've been. We have this thing called, you know, Patreon. You've heard of Patreon. Yes. Okay, we have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com and search for Fastball, you can find it. And we put out a song every month on our Patreon, brand new song. So what a great idea. Yeah. So that's really what I'm thinking of in terms of records. I'm thinking about that because we have to have a new song every month. So like mm -hmm. you can stockpile 12 songs, 15 songs, but then Lo and behold, you know, you're going about your life and you're going, oh, we're almost out of songs. You know, yeah. we've got three more left in the, in the kitty and then we're, we're screwed. We have, to, we have to write and record more. So it's actually made us way more productive because it's, um, it's easy to put all your time and energy into making a record. And that takes a while and then you make the record and then you're getting all what's the artwork gonna be and what's this and what's that? And you put all this energy into it and maybe even hire a publicist and do all this stuff. And in this day and age, the record comes out, boom, three days later, it's got, no one cares anymore. It's like the culture moves so fast. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, okay, this Patreon thing though, these people are waiting. They're paying a monthly subscription fee. They're our biggest fans just because they're voting with their pocketbook. Mm. They're subsidizing all this recording and activity. So, so I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking they, there's a new song coming and I want it to be great. So that, that's, and then those songs end up down the line becoming what becomes the next record and stuff. Keeps so you on track. Yeah, it does, for sure. It keeps us working. If, if you look at our productivity level, if you go back, you could see Back in the old days of the record industry, we put out a record in 1996. We put out a record in 1998. And then we put out another record in 2000. And then we parted ways with that label. And then we put out another record in 2005. Then we put out another record in 2010. And then we didn't put out another record until I believe it was 2017. So the, it, our productivity slowed dramatically and the output of music slowed dramatically. And since 2017, it's been headed in the other direction. It's been accelerating. And the reason is things like the Patreon and trying to have a steady stream of content as opposed to 
bundling it all up in this one big thing and then you release it and then it's gone and then you're like it, it can leave you kind of depleted or exhausted where because it, in your mind it's such a big deal oh we're making a record or a new record if you if you just free yourself from that thinking that way and yeah. just and just think about being creative being creative all the time you know one 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 day at a time, one week at a time, one one month at a time, and just living your life as a creative person, as opposed to like, yeah, we got to make a record. We're going to put all this effort into this one event, mm. and then this one event is gonna, you know, like having a baby, kind of like, oh, it's going to be this big deal, and then we're going to give birth, and then there, <laughs> you know, I don't think that way anymore. I don't think like that at all. I think well. It's good to just stay in shape. It's good to be creative and, mm. and do it, make it a regular part of your life. It's a happier way to be. Yeah, it takes the pressure off too. You know, you don't want to be too precious about things. I think it's important to just be, be creative. And this, this, the music comes and the songs come and everything is so much better when it's just a natural rhythm within you as opposed to like, oh, this is it's a lot of pressure. We go, it's all in your mind anyways, unless you're, unless you're a huge star, you know, maybe that's a lot of pressure, but, but for people like us, you know, we've, we're just making music for the people that dig us. And, and, and it's not like there's millions of dollars at stake. <laughs> So, so doing it because doing it for the passion of it still. Yeah. Well, I've had I think I've had a really wonderful life. I've had a great life so far. Mm. And I and and it's because of music. And um there's a lot of room in between someone who has no career at all, someone at the very bottom and someone at the very top. There's a world of there, there's a world of uh, opportunity where you can be doing stuff and you can be making a living you might not be a millionaire but you're also not working for a living you know i don't have a boss i don't i don't have to get up at any specific time i don't have to i can do whatever the fuck i want whatever yeah. so that's like incredibly freeing and it's all because i played music you know mm -hmm. so i'm i feel very blessed because i know lots of people who don't a lot of them are better you know, better musicians um, and better singers, whatever. It's, just, it's like there's a there's a level of luck involved as well. So so I feel very lucky and, mm. and blessed and and grateful that I get to do what I do. I feel like and, the dream the dream is like to do what you love and make a living at it, as opposed to being like a huge massive star. I think I'd be happy just. Because a lot of people can't say they're doing what they love, what they love for their job. Yeah, most people can't. So, most it most is a blessing. It is. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, I could go down the the list of. First off, I'll just I'll just leave you with this because because when and, and all your listeners because whenever I I think about this whenever I'm feeling down. Um, a long, long time ago, before I ever had any success in music, I was sitting in a car talking to a friend of mine. I was bemoaning the fact that my you know, career was going nowhere and I didn't have any money and blah, 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 blah. And my friend goes, Miles, if the world was made up of 10 people, 
seven of them would be starving. Mm. Two of them would be doing okay, and one of them would be really wealthy. He goes, you're one of the two people, so don't complain. <laughs> Realize how lucky you are to be one of the two people and not one of the seven. And I was like, huh. And it's so true. If you live in the Western world and you're not some sort of, I mean, there are people that live at the very bottom of our society. Um, if you're not one of them, if you just have some kind of crappy job you don't like, but you're doing all right, and you can go out and eat on Friday night and stuff, it's like, okay, your life might not be exactly the way you want it, but it's also not, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not over in some war-torn country, you know, you're not in some horrible, there's so many places mm -hmm. in the world where it's just, the situation is dire, and you're not over yeah. there. And even if you live in North America, where are you on the on the scale? You know, are you at the very bottom, or are you somewhere in between? If you're somewhere in between, you got it pretty good, you know, compared with the rest of the world. So that's I think about that for myself. It's good to take that moment and when things are not going your way and look at your personal inventory and be like, yeah, everything's going all right. Yeah, I, I, I think about that a lot. It's good to have gratitude because when you operate out of gratitude, the world looks different. Mm. If, if, you, if you operate out of like the world owes me one, then the world looks different as well. And, the, and yeah. that's not a good place to be operating out of because you usually pissed off and angry and kind of grumpy and like, I don't think you can ever be satisfied with that kind of attitude yeah no it's the wrong attitude to take the yeah. better attitude to take is let's see what happens mm -hmm. let's see what happens Miles <laughs> this was a fascinating chat I learned a lot thank from you, you today so thank you thanks for having me I'm really grateful for you taking the time and yep. all right good luck I with everything you. thank you I'll talk to you later Sure. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bombay Beach, the Salton Sea, dreaming of what used to be. Anastasia, you and me. Now you're gone. Now you're gone. Now you're gone. But the past. A place to live And I gave you all I had to give In that house on the edge Of the world
kids, put down that Tamagotchi and listen for a second. You know, you can follow us on Twitter at NostalgiaDope, Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. Visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.